been bands that have had some part of their success because they a, a little or a lot sounded like other bands. Think of uh, like the Beatles and Badfinger. The Beatles and a band called the Knickerbockers who had a 1965 hit called Lies that you could have sworn was the Beatles. Oh, Sheila, do you remember that mid-80s hit from the band Ready for the World, a Detroit band? That was a knockoff of Prince. R&B singer named Fontella Bass sounded a whole lot like Aretha Franklin with a 1965 hit called Rescue Me. Uh, And even today, Greta Van Fleet sounds eerily like Led Zeppelin. So did 80s band Kingdom Come. And I always kind of wonder, what happens to a band like, like that? They sound like another band. They have some hits. How do they go from having hits to having sort of hits to not really being a band anymore? Did they burn out, fade away, get taken advantage of, revealed as not really that good, dropped by the record company, implode, or did they just soldier on? In this podcast, we'll revisit three bands that had hits, big hits, in a large part because the albums that they made sounded a little bit or a lot bit like a more successful band. These bands had hits. Welcome to Rock, Pop, and Roll. Podcast episode 16, 80s bands that sounded like other bands. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob Nichols. We talk rock and roll and pop music from the playlist of the decade of the 1980s. We are broadcasting directly, podcasting directly from the heartland of America. We are in Indiana, podcasting to you wherever you might be. Quarter Flash was a Northwest-based rock and roll band. They had... They had more than one hit, and listening to their music, especially the first two albums, there's an obvious similarity to to Pat Benatar. She was hot at the time, but Pat Benatar's career was just taking off. Um, Crimes of Passion, one of the albums that jetted her into rock and roll fame and fortune, the stratosphere of rock radio. She was all over the radio and just getting bigger. With Quarter Flash, their debut album, was it was really, I went back and listened to it, it's pretty darn good. It was produced by a guy who'd done a lot of work with other bands, including most of the Little River Band records. And whatever you think of the Little River Band, the production on those albums, they sounded good. He also produced the Charlie Daniels song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. His name was John Boylan, and his experience helped Quarter Flash sculpt a sound that fit radio and made them successful. He originally went out to Seattle just to hear them before they were signed. They were in a band. Marv and Rindy Ross, husband and wife, were in a band. What? Not great all-time band name. Seafood Mama was the name of the band. He went out, Boylan did, to see if, if see if it would work. Could they sign them? Could they make an album? And he decided to make a deal for just Marvin, Rindy Ross. They had to break up the band, but it worked. Boylan was seasoned. He'd also worked. He had heck of a career, John Boylan did. He worked with Linda Ronstadt for a time, and he was integral in introducing her to a, a group of musicians that became her backing band back in 1971, a band that later became the Eagles, and a couple of guys in Linda Ronstadt's band that Boylan introduced her to, Glenn Fry and Don Henley. He worked with Pure Prairie League commander Cody and had one of his biggest successes uh, co-producing the first Boston album, which Tom Scholes, the band's founder, actually made in his basement, and Boylan had to figure out a scheme to work with the record company to get the best product out. And uh, they sold, what, 17 million copies of that debut album, so I'd say that was a success. So when he worked with Quarter Flash, Boylan produced them in a style similar to what Pat Benatar and the Little River Band sounded like, a late 70s sound of of pounding drums, a warm production. And whether it was a conscious decision or not to mimic those sounds, I don't know, but it worked. 
The first single for Quarter Flash, do you remember? It was a top 10 hit, number eight on the top 40, million selling single called Harden My Heart. there but as they released more singles from that album you could you could hear more of that resemblance this follow-up single it was top 20 uh, quite the momentum from that first heart in my heart chart action this one went up to number 16 a song called find another fool more benatar-ish top 40 although the third single i do remember this one on the radio and i did like it called right kind of love continued on we got a lot of tunes to get to today as we roll on in the rock pop and roll podcast that was it for the singles from that first album uh, but they had a second album also produced by boylan the first single from the take another picture album it was released in 1983 the album eventually made it to number 34 on the billboard album 200 chart the single the first single Reach number 14, a song called, not quite as tough of a song, but still a little ear candy, Take Me to Heart from uh, Quarter Flash. Suddenly you hear me, do you want me, do you want me? single i think 
uh, they had they released a second single from that album that didn't did not crack the top forty. It was more on the road to to the new wave sound that Quarter Flash was mining and would even more so as they continued to release records. Uh, take another picture. Number fifty eight was as high as it got. Please, please take another picture. Take another picture, please, please freeze my picture. Sounded like other bands. Quarter Flash. Sounded like Patty Guitar. We think. Yeah, the group released their final album, Back Into Blue, in 1985. Uh, Rindy Ross said it was their third album. Her husband, Marv, wanted to have a little more of a keyboard-oriented recording. Not really dance music, she said, but something different, not just rock not just that rock type. So they chose a, a producer named Steve Levine to take the helm of this. And Levine produced five Culture Club albums. So that's how he came to fame. Worked mostly with British bands. It was very different for Quarter Flash. And it, and it failed. <laughs> Talk to Me was the first single that they released from that album. Failed to crack the top 40. Barely registered on rock radio stations. Not much of a chart dent. The album peaked at 150 on the Billboard uh, album chart. The group broke up after getting dropped from Geffen Records, and that was really the end of the road for Quarter Flash. As a band, Rindy spent the next decade working as a counselor in an employee assistance program. Her husband, Marv, helped the Portland Trailblazers NBA team choose its halftime entertainment, though they would revisit that Quarter Flash name a couple of times with new members. And they formed a band called the Trail Band, an eight-piece band that plays traditional folk music from around the world, and that's their current little gig. Although in 2008, they released a, a new Quarter Flash album called Goodbye, Uncle Buzz, but it did not chart. September of 2013, they released a Quarter Flash album called Love is a Road, and not any of it was as rocking or engaging as their first two records. This is Rock, Pop, and Roll revisiting three bands that had some success. Helped a bit because they sounded like other bands. And uh, if you want to hear all the music that we have here today, go to uh, the Spotify link that's down in the show notes. And we've got all these songs. You can hear them in their entirety, plus a couple of bonus cuts that we pick out for you that we think you're going to like. Rock, Pop, and Roll rolls on. The Outfield released their first album, Play Deep, in 1985. It reached number nine on the album charts. Big hit. Sold more than three million copies in the United States. The band got hitched to the sound of Sting and the Police. Had some guitar that really sounded good, but you can tell when you listen to, the, to especially the first single, as they let loose, Tony Lewis 
lets loose with a sting-like shout at the beginning. And the boys hit the big snare drum. Say it isn't so. It's the outfit. You hear Sting in there, but standing on their own, you know, the Outfield was a, a really good top 40 singles rock band for the mid-80s, uh, and they continued to have hits, but it was the Police and Sting sound of their next single via Lewis's voice that zoomed them up to success. This uh, this is their the signature song for them. Reached number six on the Hot 100, number seven on the mainstream rock charts. And police, the police were still hot at the time. Uh, working, They worked their Synchronicity album. That was the album that had four singles. Uh, Every Breath You Take was huge. It was like number one for, what, 10, 11 weeks. Uh, they had top 10 hits with uh, King of Pain was the second single in the United States. Wrapped Around Your Finger was uh, top 10. Number 8, Synchronicity 2 was the final single, went up to number 16. So the outfield got a little draft of their success. Radio liked that sound, especially uh, when they had their big hit with Your Love. think that they had to know that they sounded a little bit like like the police right yeah how could you get away from it uh the momentum from that hit helped propel their next one into the top 20 number 19 was where uh the third single from that album uh, ended up it was number 14 on the rock radio charts still had tony lewis hitting all the high notes all the love in the world the third single from that great debut album <laughs> That was a big year for them. They were so big that the label tried to push a fourth single, a ballad, uh, called Every Time You Cry. Had some rock radio airplay. It hit number 30 uh, on rock radio. Failed to crack the top 40 charts. It had a big chorus. The band toured extensively uh, behind this album. They opened for Journey. They opened for the Starship. We're doing all the singles. Let's let you hear a little bit of Every Time You Cry. Say goodbye. I'm just a little bit 
really hear the the lesser singles from that album too much on any of the classic hit stations. Those all four sound good, and you can see why that album was big. This is Rock, Pop, and Roll, three bands that had success sounding a whole lot like other bands. Uh, We're taking you through the catalog right now. The second album from the outfield was called Bangin'. B-A-N-G-I-N apostrophe. 1987 release, and it uh, had a top 40 single on it. Pretty much the blueprint of sound from the previous album carried over to Since You've Been Gone. Since you've been gone There's something I wanna say Since you've been gone candy from the outfield and uh really the only single that made much of a dent the album certified gold in the united states so sold a half a million it's pretty big on rock radio and they toured uh, that tour behind that album they were opening for night ranger who was still big at that time the next album voices of babylon was released in 89 it was their last chart success and uh, rock radio really took to that first single it went to number two on the rock radio charts number 25 on the top 40 charts they were using a new producer david khan and a little more layered of sound but the first single the title track to voices of babylon some of that police sound kind of uh, like Alan Parsons Alan Parsons project crossed with the police maybe a little like the cars cars light and they were a good video band produced MTV uh, videos that helped their career but once the first album was done their hits became not as high charting and there was there was fewer of them although as they continued on The second single, actually, from that album was not bad. It was a little tune called My Paradise. think about it they had three three albums they were not too bad drummer alan jackman left the group after this and uh, as a duo the band carried on they recorded a, an album called diamond days in in 1991 and would you it's it's into the 90s even though we look at the 80s it's it's um it's close enough that uh, we're going to take a listen to a song that it went to number 21 on the top 40 and number 13 on the rock charts, and I don't know if you, I don't, I didn't remember this until I listened to it again, and I'm not sure I still even remember it, but the Diamond Days single that they released was a song called For You.
sounds even like the police enough to to say, yeah, they they, uh, they carried some of their success via the police sound. But but I, you know what? I think the band sure did a nice job of sounding like enough like themselves. And before we finish up with the outfield, uh, guitarist John Spinks, bass player Tony Lewis came back together in the '90s. Uh, after well, they actually had a band, an album out in 1992 called Rock Eye that flopped, and uh, they released a couple of albums in the 90s that were live albums and a new studio album in 2004 called Any Time Now. Didn't make a dent. 2011, the band released their final album called Replay. Alan Jackman rejoined them. Guitarist John Spinks died in 2014. The group officially disbanded after that. Lead singer Tony Lewis released a solo record in 2018 called Out of the Darkness, and he passed away in October of 2020. Your Love, that's that song that still garners a lot of play on a lot of classic hit stations and 80s-based oldies radio. Their signature song, every time it gets played, you can hear the echoes of the police and their own sound, too. And I, I see why it was a hit. It sounded good on the radio. You can hear more uh, from these bands, these three bands we're taking a look at on Rock, Pop, and Roll on our special Spotify playlist. Find that link in the show notes as we roll on to the third and final band that had some success because they sounded a whole lot like somebody else. Even though this band was a hit in the New England region, they were ignored by major labels. John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band ignored the reason they sounded way too similar to Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. They sure did. Cafferty and the band finally did find some national success when a producer named Kenny Vance, who was a longtime fan offered them a chance to score the movie about the legendary bar band, fictional bar band, the movie Eddie and the Cruisers. Cafferty was hired to write just a couple of songs for the film, but he did such a good job of capturing the feeling of the era, said the producers, that he was asked to create the music for the entire film, and the film was released, and it bombed. film was released in September of 83, pulled from theaters not long after that, but then it went to HBO. And so the story of the success of Eddie and the Cruisers it was one of those early HBO-driven pieces. It's kind of like Shawshank Redemption now is so big. Anytime you see it on cable, it's like, oh, man, that's a great movie. i got to stop and watch that. Eddie and the Cruisers was that for HBO. And so when the success on HBO happened, the album from the movie took off. They released the first two singles when the movie came out, and they, and they didn't do anything. So when it was successful on HBO, they re-released them, and on the dark side, went top ten. The dark side's calling out on Israel. never know just how I feel. Out of the shadows, she walks like a dream.
top 10 hit for John Cafferty and the band. Number one on the album Rock Radio Charts for five weeks. So it ended up being a, a huge hit. And they so they said, hey, let, let's, let's go ahead and let's send out another single. Uh, from that album and they did it didn't quite have as much much success it did go to number 10 on the rock radio charts number uh, 31 on the top 40 for the follow-up uh, tender years that really did sound like springsteen Both, as we said, had were released when the when the album first came out, failed to crack the top forty. The album, though, was eventually a, a three million selling soundtrack album for John Cafferty. The follow up, John and his band recorded an album called Tough All Over. That was it was marketed two ways. The album cover said uh, from the Eddie and the Cruisers band, so they were tying them to that Eddie and the Cruisers soundtrack, and it was also printed with John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. And it was really, it was an album that was pretty successful, had two good singles, two successful singles on it, had that Springsteen sound that he was never going to get rid of. But hey, what what are you going to do? He said, that's what, that's what we sounded like. The first single from that actual album of their own that was released, cracked the top 40, went to number 22, and was number one on rock radio called Tough All Over. Hyper '80s produced for sure, and had that uh, <laughs> had that signature of the '80s at, at mid-song breakdown, like this. Saxophone. They had a follow-up single to uh, Tough All Over that, that was also a hit. This one, it cracked the top 40, went to number 18, so it was actually it was a bigger hit than that first single was. Song called Spell It Out For Me, C-I-T-Y. I'm living in a two more singles from that album they each failed to crack the top 40 one of them went to number 64 uh, called small town girl and then they released one that went to number 62 so it didn't really become a hit either called voice of america's sons but was included in the soundtrack to the 1986 sylvester stallone film called cobra they used this it was uh 
<laughs> you talk about sounding like Springsteen. Same, same themes that Springsteen sang about, you know, working class, blue collar. Yeah, there, was, there was energy in the album, but I didn't mind Cafferty at all. It was just so tough to get away from the comparisons to Springsteen for him. He uh, soldiered on, though, although he would never have another Top 40 or rock radio hit. He continued to release music. A Cafferty solo track called Hearts on Fire was released on another uh, Sylvester Stallone soundtrack. Uh, this went to Rocky Four in 1985. It was uh, not good. Uh, highly produced artificial sounding stuff. So one of Cafferty's weaker little singles he put out. Uh, still, 1985, a pretty good year for, for a Springsteen knockoff band from Rhode Island, which is what they were. But they really were a hardworking bar band success on the east coast but the voice of cavity was so similar to springsteen that it was tough to distinguish the difference a lot of times when it first came on the radio he continued to release music uh, an album called roadhouse in 1987 didn't excite too many listeners although it wasn't a success on the rock chart it did get up to number 47 take a listen to just for fun to uh cavity's song called song and dance So Cafferty, uh, he was roped into or asked, asked to or uh, volunteered. I don't know how it worked out, but he was he was there for the sequel to the Eddie and the Cruisers movie. That uh, <laughs> There was a sequel. Do you remember Eddie and the Cruisers 2? Eddie Lives. It was made in, it took them 30 days to make the movie. Uh, 1989, the spring of 1989. They had to film some concert scenes at the end for the finale. Uh, Eddie's big return to this big stage. And so what they did in 89 is they filmed those concert scenes in Las Vegas at the big Thomas and Max Center where the big concerts were held. And they filmed it between sets, between Skid Row's set and Bon Jovi's set. Bon Jovi was touring on their New Jersey album tour. And Skid Row was the opener. And then they put the put the... Eddie and the Cruisers band up, not John Cafferty, but the actors up between uh, these two and, and filmed the final concert scenes. The film was released in August of 89 and it grossed a little less than or a little more than half a million dollars. It was pulled quickly from the theaters. I think I've seen it. I don't think it was good. <laughs> Cafferty did all the music for it, too. And there was a single released and it did. It hit the uh, bottom of the Hot 100 singles chart. It was at number 66 in the single from that. Since hey, we're giving you the story, right? The single from that was called Pride and Passion. And of course, we have it. Still tours, you know, not not as COVID is is 
permeating the United States, but he still tours. I've seen him. I, I saw John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band at a uh, medium, small to medium-sized venue uh, in Louisville back in the nineteen late 1990s, I think it was. A good show. The Georgia Satellites opened the Dan Baird-less satellites. Georgia Satellites continued. The lead singer Dan Baird went out on his own many years ago. Uh, they were the openers, but Cafferty was really good. I mean, they... They were, uh, and the satellites, they were average that night. Although, although, let me give you a little sidebar, if I might. I've seen the classic Georgia satellites uh, line up three times, and they are a podcast-worthy band, so watch out. There's going to be a Georgia Satellites podcast coming up at some point. I saw them open for Bob Seger in Detroit at Joe Louis Arena in 1986, Saw them as part of a whopper of a lineup with the Del Fuegos opening, Satellites in the Middle, Tom Petty and the, and the Heartbreakers closing the show at the outdoor shed up at, in Michigan, Pine Knob, uh, near Detroit. And then I drove through the snow in December of 1988 in a borrowed, tricked-out, black Monte Carlo SS that wasn't mine. That's another story. But I, I, in December of 88, drove through the snow to see them at a little bar in Lansing, Michigan called the Silver Dollar Saloon and witnessed them blow the roof off that dump with a two-hour show with a nasty little glam rock band called the Rock City Angels opening. It was a killer show. That's my little Georgia Satellite sidebar. Uh, but there, that's you know tying into that, there's a reason that bands survive. They're good live. Cafferty's been doing what he's been doing for 40 years at this point, and the band can live off the catalog that someone like Cafferty has built. A signature song like On the Dark Side, good radio hits like Tender Years, Tough All Over, and CITY. Add some album tracks, some cover songs, and you got 90 minutes that rocks, right? Good for John. Good for John Cafferty. Zero wrong with working hard and providing some memories. And it's not John Cafferty's fault that he sounded like Springsteen. In fact, he embraced it, and Springsteen shared the stage with John Cafferty three times when the, the John Cafferty's band used to play a club called The Fast Lane near Asbury Park back in the late 1970s. Thanks for listening to the Rock and Pop and Roll Podcast. Hang on for one last fact and one more tune. Subscribe to Rock, Pop, and Roll on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at 80s Rock, Pop, Roll. Email us rockpoprollpodcast at gmail.com. This has been the Rock, Pop, and Roll Podcast, episode number 16. Three bands that had success because they sounded a little or a lot like other more popular bands. Thanks for listening. Hang on. If you like the show, share the link, the podcast with somebody. Share it with a fan of 80s pop, rock, and roll. Share it on your social media feeds, if you would. On your Facebook, on your on your, on your whatevers, on your Twitters, on your Instagrams, on your TikToks. We'd love you for it. Do it. Share us on TikTok. We, we need that. We end with one last fact today. One of the great sound-alike songs in the history of pop music, Fontella Bass co-wrote and recorded a song that went to number four on the U.S. pop charts, a song called Rescue Me in 1965. Gave Chess Records its first million-selling single since Chuck Berry had a million-selling single for that little great record company. Uh, Fontella Bass sold over a million copies with uh, Rescue Me, and... uh, 
even with the success of the song, it was years before she would be credited with her share of the songwriting and the royalties, as was uh, sadly all too common in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and onward probably. The catalyst for her wanting to get her money was when she heard herself singing Rescue Me on an American Express television ad back in 1990. She said, I got to get this figured out. There was a settlement in 93 with American Express and and the ad agency that used Rescue Me. She did get $50,000 plus damages. Not a heck of a lot of money for a song that that was that popular. But we're going to revisit that great song. Play us out. Here is that great Motown Detroit Aretha Franklin sounding song from the woman from St. Louis. A bit of Rescue Me. and roll.